Well, today is September 11th, 2016. 15 years ago today, I was home unemployed watching TV with my uh, oldest daughter, who was two at the time. And I happened to flip CNN on just when the second plane hit one of the World Trade Center uh, buildings. But this is not an episode about the World Trade Center. Uh, we're dealing with a topic much more depressing than that. So welcome. It's actually, no, I said episode 82. It actually is episode 83. Can you tell I've been working and programming this is, just right leading yeah. up until this episode? Because I've been dealing with CSS and I sent out some very angry mm-hmm. tweets about CSS. <laughs> CSS is the devil's tool. And one day when it gets replaced, hopefully I will still be alive when it gets replaced. But Another exciting episode of the Development Hell Podcast. As always, I'm here with my co-host, Ed. Ed, how are you today? Hello, friend. I am doing fine, thank you. Oh, I can't believe I fucked it up and said episode 82. I'm sorry, Ed. You said 82. <laughs> yes. Then I corrected myself, and then I said 83, because I had just done the notes for 82 not too long ago. So That's true. This is what happens when I actually attempt to do some design work. We got a new design for the True North PHP website, so I'm furiously uh, redoing everything to line up with it, and I just don't like CSS, and I wish it would just die in a fire. But that is a topic for another time. We should actually get somebody on... uh, uh, on the show who actually likes CSS and then I can just yell at them for like an hour about uh, this stupid shit. Although I did lay, I do lay a lot of the problems with CSS at the feet of, of browser uh, manufacturers. My current employer uh, is guilty of doing some stupid shit in their implementations of things as well. But uh, Anyway, oh, I hear some noise from our guest. Our guest is supposed to remain quiet until we introduce them. That's yeah, come on. Little, it's kind of one of the Shoot. Rules. Shut your um, mouth. Okay, I won't so, talk anymore. <laughs> perfect. Uh, so, Ed, uh, I heard the Bears lost. Um, as always, I maintain my position that the Bears suck, and uh, hand egg is an imperfect sport, um, and I would rather watch baseball. But uh, I, know that, uh, I know that your beloved Bears lost. How badly did they lose? Was it embarrassing? Uh, no, they lost by nine, which is, I mean, just barely two scores, and that's, that's not horrible. I don't think... I don't think people are expecting them to necessarily go to the playoffs this year, but I think I would like them to be competitive. It, I didn't actually watch the game. It, I From the score, it seems like that's fairly competitive. You know, I would like them to be winning or closer, but, you know, it's fine. Whatever. Fair enough. I've watched my beloved Blue Jays stumble around. They've only won three of their last 11 games. If you're going to pick a time to slump in September in the middle of a pennant race is usually not the best time uh, to do something like that. Uh, you know, there's interesting, before we get into talking about our sponsors, I noticed a very interesting pathology amongst people who follow sports on Twitter. There are so many people who are relentlessly negative towards the team that they're allegedly a fan of. And I've because a friend of mine, and I've told Ed this before, and maybe mm. some of our other listeners remember, a friend of a friend of mine who I've known for a very very long time does um, radio stuff for the Blue Jays. He's their like um, pre and post game host, yeah. And so he he gets to call an inning or two during the games, and he's constantly live tweeting what's going on and interacting with people. And he gets some of the most ridiculously negative tweets. Uh, sent at him in his mentions and I've never understood why do these people want to spend waste all this energy they're supposedly a fan of the team which by definition means you like you uh, are interested in the team's success but they're so they're so relentlessly negative 
every run that's scored, every move that doesn't work. The my buddy Mike's Twitter feed just blows up with people criticizing, and I'm thinking, what is it that they want? Like, what is it that these people who are relentlessly complaining about their favorite sports team and like this isn't going to work? They're going to miss. It's like, what are, what are they? What are they looking for? Are they are are they looking for reassurance? Are they trying yeah. to set things up so they appear smart later on when when the team doesn't make the playoffs? If that's what happens, they say, look, I told you guys they wouldn't make the playoffs. Like, I call these yes. people, and I got called. Well, and I got called out for this by a few people. I called them phony fans. I'm like, you're not really a fan of this team. You're someone that watches, and you're like really quick to criticize when things don't go the way that you think they're supposed to. And this always nonsense about how a how a professional sports game is somehow like a battle of like character versus character when it's got character of the people participating have absolutely nothing to do with it. It's all about skill and opportunity. And when stupid shit happens, are you going to be able to take advantage of that opportunity or not? I'm just the phony fans I find online. It's just ridiculous. Like, why are you why are you tweeting at the radio host that you think the Jays made a mistake that they should have bunted. Like I, I, I look at that. I go. I don't understand what it is. Your what is it they're hoping to accomplish? Is they just want attention? Do they want someone to acknowledge that they're an expert when they're clearly not? Like I've, I've, I've always wondered this. And I know we could probably talk forever about this, but like real quick, Ed. Like what do you like? What do you think people are trying to do when they're doing this sort of thing? That is a complex topic. I think that people. Uh, get wrapped up emotionally. Uh, they get wrapped up emotionally and stuff. And when they get wrapped up emotionally and stuff, sometimes they do kind of weird things. Like when you're supposedly supposed to be supportive of each other in a relationship and you just get angry and yell at each other or things like that. Or, uh, I don't know. That's probably a terrible analogy and uh, just <laughs> bummed everybody out. But well, it made me happy. So it's working. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> uh, I think there's a, a few things there. I think some people want to feel smart. I think some people get really invested in it and it fe- they feel like it's I, there are definitely some people who sort of use it as I think as an outlet for just to complain about something that. You know, hey, look at these guys just suck all the time. And it, they sort of use it as a, a proxy for maybe complaining about other things uh, in going on in their life. I, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not good. I don't have a lot of info on the psychology of the uh, angry sports fan. However, there is a good movie uh, that is starring Patton Oswald called Big Fan right. um, that I might you might want to check out. It's about this guy who's a. A New York Giants fan and calls into sports radio a lot and like works super hard to like have something awesome to say and like really stick it to people and stuff like that. And that's the kind of sports radio I really can't stand. I mostly I hate it whenever anybody calls into the show and like they let them on the air because I don't want to listen to these people because they don't know what they're talking about. I want to listen to people who do know what they're talking about. Um, I like, I want to listen to Buster only. Is that that guy? Is he, yeah, that's a baseball guy at ESPN. Yeah. Pretty smart guy. Or that dude who plays the blues, who's a baseball guy or like, I want to listen to people who actually know what they're talking about. And I don't want to listen to people who just like yell about stuff and complain about things. I don't. and, And I find it vicariously embarrassing. Like it just, 
upsets me to hear them say dumb stuff and I don't like it. Anyway, the point is uh, that movie Big Fan is good, but very dark. And I would uh, say that I don't know enough about the psychology of it, but I do know that because I care more about sports than or about the Bears uh, as a sports team than any other NFL team, I often have to just avoid watching it because I get so upset if they lose. Otherwise, I kind of just enjoy it for what it is. But the Bears particularly, I feel emotionally invested in and have to sort of like be cynical about um, or just detach myself because otherwise I get upset about it. And I don't know. So I guess I'm trying to be self-aware and control like how I get involved in it. But it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess they want they just want to have something. If, if, it, if it that's the thing that, that sort of gives them joy that they feel like they have something in their life that gives them happiness. And if it doesn't, it sort of turns into this bitch fest thing. I don't know. I got nothing for you, man. I really got nothing. I wasn't expecting you to fix all the world's problems. And no, in, I'll uh, do it. Minutes, I'll do it. Just give me two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get onto the sponsors in a second. I just, uh, I just watch this stuff. I'm like, thinking, what, like, what do you, what do you, I look at this. I think I, I don't understand the pathology of stuff. And also I think that my friend, Mike, despite all the abuse he takes online, I'm like, dude's a saint with that kind of patience where, cause he's the type of person that will call out people on Twitter who are actually factually incorrect. And he's always been a big believer in your feelings are not facts just right. because you feel something doesn't mean that you're correct. And people yeah. are like, well, I'm entitled to my opinion. And Mike's like, well, that's right. But you're trying to present your opinion as a fact. And that's kind of not, he says, that's not what we're going to do here. But anyway, so, well, that it, stuff. it is yeah. the case that people like, I, I mean, I watch like this, the sports guys that I watch about sure. baseball or football or things like that. Or, or I like follow sports writer, Jamel Hill, um, who's an African-American woman uh, on Twitter. And Oh my God, they, She's constantly getting horrible, horrible things said about her, about her personally. Um, and the dudes get some of that, not to the same extent. And also just constantly like asking stupid questions or like, oh, you're just a bias, da, 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 whatever. Like, yeah, just don't I don't I don't understand it. I, in some it's like fun, but it, it does seem to bring out the worst in people sometimes. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's so popular that you get a wide swath of, so you end up with that small percentage of people who are just kind of dopes. I don't know. All right. Speaking of dopes, sponsor time. Ah, yes, yeah, sponsor time. Uh, the first sponsor is Grampy Learn. Uh, Grampy Learn is a great new way to uh, teach uh, your grandfather how to code, which of course is the one thing that will give his life value learning how to code and it is taught by Chris Harchus, a grampy himself. Uh, and he will teach your grandfather how to code or even your grandmother or other grandparents. It, it and they, you don't have to give them a gender identity based on the role that they play. Just a grand X, I guess. I don't know. Um, grandparent X, and he'll grumpy will teach grampy or he'll get mad and beat grampy 
And we don't want that to happen. Whoa, elder abuse. You went pretty dark there. Yeah, that did go. I am not. I feel like I'm <laughs> off my game a little bit. I don't know. Might be my kid got home and I couldn't talk to him because I was recording and he went outside. He's probably going to rob a bank or some kind of liquor store. I don't know what's going on. No, your kid, your kid's not like you, Ed. He'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there you're right. You're right. Uh, so uh, up at Grampy Learn, there's a lot of stuff about testing. That's uh, Grampy Dash Learn, I think, actually. Is that the correct URL? Grampy? Well, I, well, I got the re- redirect set up, so it should work either way. Okay, so I'm going to type Grampy. G-R-A-M-P-Y Learn. I'm just going to type Grampy Learn. Let's see what it brings up. Kitchen faucets. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what we need. Yes, okay. So let me try. Are you getting into the faucet game? Well, you know, diversify, diversify. You know, with my with my mm-hmm. wife uh, now at home instead of working, mm-hmm. um, you know, I got to diversify. Reach out, make some money, and you got to keep that hustle going. Yeah, is she doing the, the like, the... The forging work. <laughs> just, I had just the vision of my wife with like the big, uh, like in front of a big anvil, and she's yeah. got the, you know the the welder's mask on, and just yes. like that that goddamn husband of mine, and she's like banging the hammer onto the faucet to shape it. Well, maybe um, she. Let's should go with yes. Yeah. Let's go with yes. That is what she's doing. With okay, her time that's now. great. Let's go with yes. I love it. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, so, and then right now, I think the books that you have here, they seem to focus. On testing elephants, I guess. I'm a little unsure about what the. What are you guys? Is this some kind of like catch and release uh, program that you guys have? Well, it's more like, you know, in, in every, almost every conversation, there's always an elephant in the room, you know, something unspoken. That's true. That's true. And so I'm helping, I'm helping people to identify what those things are and how to cope with them properly. Okay. So testing elephants. Testing that elephant in the room, and you can buy books about testing that elephant, I guess. At no, I think I was wrong about the URL, it's actually grumpy learning.com. Let's see if we got that redirect works. Nope, does not work. So, grumpy learning.com, and you'll learn about how to uh, tranquilize. Uh, run a number of blood tests and then run away before it wakes up elephants. That's our first sponsor. And our second sponsor is Network of Wonder. Networks. Wonder where they're going. Know what I mean, guys? <laughs> <coughs> Networks of Wonder. Professional podcasting at its best. It's a global working network provider solution with countries in 78 and continent 6. Proxy. Ow. The cat just hurt me. Ow. Oh, my God. Ow. Oh, this is karma because I'm screwing up the podcast <laughs> out. Oh my god. You son of a bitch. 
Where'd the, where'd the wonderful cat get you? Oh, just it's it was just jumping like up on the sofa. And my hand was at the on the top of the sofa, and this cat, Anyanka, she keeps her claws out whenever she wants to move around. The other one is nice, but this one is not. Uh, it wasn't trying to hurt me, but just dug its claws in into my hand, and so that kind of sucked. I'm probably gonna die from some sort of uh, fever uh, here in a couple days. But while I've got you here, let's talk about Wonder Network with their products like Wonder Proxy. Where's it up? Sherpa shots. I shot the Sherpa. Did I do that joke at a different episode? No, I don't think so. But even if you did, I want to hear it again. You shot the Sherpa, but you didn't I shoot shot the-, the Sherpa, but I did not shoot the pack a mule. <laughs> pack a mule? Alpaca, Wonder VPN, Vipin, Wonder Vipin, Wonder Vipin, and Global Pink Statistics. And then, hey, where's it fast? You can find out where's it fast from 78 countries, six continents, 215 locations. It's like the little empire Paul set up for himself. Yeah, it is. It Thank is. God Gemma is there to bail him out all the time. Thank God. Gemma, Gemma is amongst our favorite people. Yes, Paul not, really. Well, I got to be nice to Paul because he's thinking about sponsoring the conference. So got to. Oh, hey, Paul is great. Great people. Him and Will, they're excellent people, uh, especially when they sign checks. I think they're the best people in the world. Hey, there's another person it says here, Caroline Shaw. Yeah, they actually finally hired like a UI UX person. So the sky's the limit for these people now. Right. So Paul's not writing code anymore, is he? I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't know what he does uh, does with uh, with Wonder Network anymore. I mean, last I checked, he still has the day gig with Stripe. So Does he? I don't know. That's all, all I can assume is I haven't heard that he switched jobs, so I can only assume he's still there. If you are still working with Stripe, great. If you aren't, well, sorry, man. You know, You don't follow me on Twitter, so. Sorry, buddy. Everybody got to get in with the right people, especially yeah. the verified, especially the verified folks. Yeah. You know, Twitter hasn't responded to me about my request yet. Well, it takes a couple days. No, it's been longer than that. I'm pretty sure it got shot down. <laughs> Sucker. All right. <laughs> how did you well, get I, verified? Yeah, Disgusting. I know. I know we had that whole thing. Well, how did Chris, an, an, acknowledged, an acknowledged expert in his field, get a verified Twitter account? Can't imagine how. All right. Enough about me and about you. Let's actually talk about our guest. She can finally say something. Tessa, are you there still? Just walking right in the door. Hello. Oh, <laughs> oh hey, perfect timing. <laughs> hey, hey. Coincidence. Yeah. Hi. Hey, everybody. It's Tessa Mero. Is that how you say your name? It's not Miro or Tessa Mero. Yeah, I guess I I'm got it pretty right. sure. Well, I'm shit. Oh my god, I just knocked over my pop filter. This is this is not working out well for me. I need to have some more to drink. Um <laughs> so Tessa, tell us about yourself. Okay. Where should I start? I'm kidding. The beginning. <laughs> The very beginning. Yep. So that goes that goes back pretty far, though. Mm-hmm. You sure about that? Okay, no. Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> well, my name is Tessa Mero. 
And I'm pretty excited to be on not the 82nd episode, but the 83rd episode of Dev Hell Podcast. That's correct. (laughs) And my day job, I am a developer advocate for Cisco. Mm -hmm. Cisco DevNet, to be exact. It's an actual, their own department in the company that does all the, the developer stuff and not the network stuff. Oh, okay. To keep it simple. Okay. And then my um, evening job is I'm a front-end developer instructor at Thankful.com. I do that a few hours a week, working with students and helping them find jobs. And and I involuntarily, I do that a lot, too, um, helping people find jobs and Mm-hmm. I don't like anybody being unemployed because it drives me crazy and then I can't sleep at night knowing someone's looking for a job because I'm just some people are just really crazy in the weirdest ways. And, and that's me. OK, well, <laughs> there you go. Doesn't that seem like that would be a? I mean, everybody's probably there's probably people looking for a job right now. Well, I made another tweet and now I have a list. I got about 15 people looking and. About ten jobs looking to hire and counting on me, and counting on I'm you. Go- so, mm-hmm. I actually just took forty hours off from Cisco. They give us one week of paid time off to mm-hmm. volunteer and do anything we want with our time. Oh. So, I'm using that time to um, try to hook up people with jobs right. and work on conference stuff. Yes, the conference stuff sounds like a good thing. And and one of the things that uh, I know we'll talk about is that, that you are one of the organizers of Pacific Northwest PHP this year. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Would you call yourself the kingpin? Queenpin, maybe? So my role is president or main organizer El of presidente. the conference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The president. Mm-hmm. And... It was founded, the conference was founded by Jeremy Lindblom, who Mm -hmm. decided to help out with a conference, the second year conference, which is this year, only because I um, gave him guilt trips and bullied him into um, assisting again, because he definitely didn't want to be, um, he wanted to leave it to me. And I was Mm -hmm. like, no way, that's not happening. I know where you live. I know your number. You have to help out. And he's like, fine. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, all right, one more time, one more year. Okay. But 2017, but he's a huge help though. He, he knows, he knows how to be an organizer Mm -hmm. very well. Okay. That's good. That's good to hear. And one of the things is that, um, and I kind of want to talk a little bit about is how, I guess, because you do a lot of stuff with the Joomla project. I know you, you didn't mention that and all the other stuff. You probably just forgot because you have so much going on. But can, oh, you, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about like how you got started in Joomla? And I mean, I guess most people probably know that it's a content management system, kind of, Correct. maybe kind of comparable to Drupal in terms of scope. But that is most of what I know. That is, I can't, could not speak sure. more to So I'm going to let you so talk about it. it. It all started out while I was going to college for programming. Mm-hmm. And I decided I was going to, 
I wasn't done with my degree yet, and I decided I wanted to apply for a bunch of jobs to just get my practice interviewing in, and I knew for a fact I would not get a job because I'm not even halfway done. I haven't even got through all my programming classes. Okay. And I landed a web developer job full-time, which sucked because I accepted it, and it was really good pay, more than I've ever made um, on a tech type of jobs. And then... I mean, the scope of the job was so above and beyond what my capabilities are, so I had to um, figure out a way to start quick. And I needed to select a... I wanted to start out with a CMS, so I had some kind of, you know, platform to start out with because I didn't even know a PHP framework existed at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, just taking, just finishing up a PHP class and learning just the basics. And... I was doing research looking for something where you can build custom applications and really customize a CMS. And I needed a CMS where I can build sites that has no images and no articles and it is not content driven. It's all, you know, just a customized platform for product engineers to do their work on, uh, like an approval process system for all the products at the factory. And oh, okay. I discovered Joomla, and I discovered some um, how to do custom code work on there, and it took a lot of um, practice. And um, one month into my job, they sent me to New York City to go to my first Joomla conference. And oh, wow. I've never been to... I knew about conferences because I used to be in the gaming conference um, community, and oh, I did sure. that for like 10 years. Uh, I was like crazy about the gaming community and I made a lot of friends Mm -hmm. and they convinced me to contribute to open source. I had no idea what that meant. I was just like, oh, like I'm willing to do this contributing stuff just to, you know, make these new friends so I can learn more about Joomla. And then it turned into many, 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 many years of going to Joomla events and like five plus years of contributing to the project. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. So yep. that's an ongoing thing for you still. Is that, is that something that you still have time for? Yes, I put in very little time. I used to put in um, more time than anyone can ever imagine. Oh, and yeah. that can be a dangerous thing, especially when you're involved in leadership and making decisions on the project and your name and face is always out there. Mm. You're a huge target for... Um, for people who like to be loud on social media, um, mm-hmm. the ones that people prefer not to listen to, but end up listening to. Right. And I couldn't emotionally handle that to that extent. So I um, simmered down a bit and I feel much happier with the, the level that I'm putting in and, you know, still, I still feel very happy. I'm involved in the, there's three teams currently. There's the board of directors. I used to be in the board of directors. Mm -hmm. And then there's the community leadership that handles all of the non-code side of things like marketing and the extensions and the content. And then there's the production leadership team, which is, and each team is a group of a few people in the world. Um, the community leadership team is like a dozen. And then my production leadership team has about 10 and a majority of them live in Europe. I think I'm the only U S one. And we make decisions on, you know, features and, and what goes into the core 
And when you've been around the community for a very long time and been using the software for a long, I don't use it anymore, but I used to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have an idea of, you know, where it needs to head. So we all have, you know, visions of where we want to take it. And the future of Joomla is looking pretty good. Um, currently it's, it's a little on the, on the rocks, but mm. that's because there's just so many changes going on. There's a huge organization restructure. There's a major decisions going on on where, what we want to do with the whole future of the software, Joomla 4.0. We want to change everything about it. Our Joomla 4 team, which is a sub team of the leadership team, and each leadership team has like 30 or 40 teams underneath it. And the Joomla 4 team, I think they might be rebuilding it all from scratch, uh, mm. but finding a way without affecting all of our plugins that we have existing. Mm. And we want to make it, we want to fix all of the issues that people didn't like about the previous versions. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, version compatibility and, and being able to easily switch versions without ha- hiring someone and paying them three three $4,000 to migrate their data because you can't easily change from, you know, 1.5 version to 3.0. Yeah, it's, sure. It gets very, very difficult. So it's going to fix a lot of issues. Um, there might be a lot of um, upset people, but, you know, people move on, things change, and it's going to be a very beautiful CMS and um, hoping to make a major change in the future and, and create a really good um, reputation for Joomla. That's awesome. Well, cool, yeah. cool. Um, do you have a place where people want to check out Joomla? And they kind of wanted to maybe just give it a shot. Where should they check it out? Is there like a beginner, I want to learn a little bit more about it kind of place? Yes. Um, Joomla.org, there's docs of information. Mm. And we've had, uh, we created a documentation team that's been working really hard Mm -hmm. for probably the last year or maybe longer. And they've been putting out a lot of stuff. But I actually used a commercial website for learning Joomla, which I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, I was to help me learn how to use it. I answered people's questions rather than asked questions mm-hmm. because I, it forced myself to do research and learn stuff and then help someone else. And then I ended up getting offered a, a job. So I w- that was like my night job for a long time is helping people with like Joomla, WordPress, and Drupal questions. And that website is ostraining.com, like opensourcetraining.com. Yeah. And it's, it's really great. It's pretty cheap. And, you know, for I think it's around $27 or $29 a month. And you can ask unlimited questions, and it's the support is for unlimited websites. I'm pretty sure. Don't take my word for that. I haven't been on the website for a very long time. Right. And I, I know the owners of the site, um, the company. They're really, you know, passionate people for the open source community, and they take priority of helping people succeed over money. Mm-hmm. So that's why I value them so much. Yeah, I dig it. And I'm looking at it now, and they do have a lot of Joomla stuff here. It looks like. That's cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, that's very cool. So now recently you took a gig with probably some uh, 
folks so with a company that I, I think a lot of folks don't think of when they think about, I don't know, development, say web development or other kinds of other kinds of software development necessarily. And that's Cisco. And can you tell us a little bit about the, the, the gig you got and how you ended up there and what, you know, what, what your guys, what you guys are doing uh, in terms of for, for developers, like what, what you guys are offering. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, it all started out when I decided it was time for a career change. Um, well, actually, it started out a year ago having a drink at the bar at Sunshine PHP, and mm-hmm. I was having a drink with Mike Stowe, and Mike Stowe's a pretty awesome guy. Right. And he, he told me, he's like, you know, I was just thinking, you would make a really good developer evangelist. And I'm like, nah, like I don't... I don't, I've never even thought about that. I don't, I don't know. (laughs) It's like, I don't know, just, just saying. And when someone says something like that to you, it makes you like really put more thought into it. And, and I started like second, second guessing my career. Like, should I be a teacher for the rest of my life or should I try something new? Mm -hmm. And, and I'm all about taking risks and taking chances to improve your life and nothing wrong with teaching though. I'm still a big part of being an evangelist is teaching and educating people on their products. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when I did the hunt and landed a job with Cisco and very happy with it. They're an amazing company. They're developer department called DevNet, Cisco DevNet, was born two years ago. The developer evangelist team was born um, about the time I got hired. Oh, okay. So So you're kind of getting in on the ground floor there with that. Exactly. And it's something they just got, you know, a budget for to create an evangelist team. I like to say developer advocate because it makes people confused that are in other countries. Oh, does it? That thinks of evangelist as a um, religion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, one of the things I always wondered about was there's when I think of I mean, I think I have a a fairly standard understanding of an evangelist in terms of somebody who is trying to get people interested in their product. And I always kind of think of as an advocate as. um, Well, I mean, I guess it could go either way, but I often have heard people who are described as such and such advocates within a company as that's a person who advocates for a customer group within a company. (laughs) And is that part of what you do? Um, not, not really. So there's there's a lot of different things that I do. It's kind of all, all over the place because every time I get an idea, then I start going towards that and it's starting to branch out into multiple directions. But, you know, a a big thing that, that because we're so new, we have, I mean, Cisco is huge and we have, you know, a huge customer base and a lot of partners and, and we have a lot of internal, internal parts of Cisco that, you know, has not even heard of DevNet or maybe they heard about DevNet, but don't know much about it. So recently I've been reaching out to, um, to parts of the internal side of things and, and teaching them about DevNet and trying to get involved in their events and, and webinars. For example, Net Academy, if you've heard of Net Acad at all, um, I don't think so. 
Cisco offers like free education, free curriculum for anyone to learn networking. And I think programming is part of it too. I haven't looked through the curriculums and any school can go to the site and, and, you know, don't take my word for it because I haven't actually went on the site and used any of this stuff. Right. um, there's NetAcad teachers, and they can, you know, teach the content for of Cisco um, stuff. And there's 9,000 schools in the world using it. So, you know, one of my projects is I want to integrate DevNet to be involved in all of these schools, and so they can learn our content and, and our APIs and what they're teaching. And and it'll also, and I also want to. Um, inspire network engineers to want to learn programming because of the whole thing with network programmability and being able to, you know, work using APIs to access your routers and, and information. And it's, that's a lot of really cool stuff that you can do and being able to, for network engineers and developers to be able to communicate and understand each other is a great thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so when what are the things that Cisco offers for developers uh, that maybe we don't think about because we mostly think about them doing, say, network hardware and stuff like that? Sure. I mean, that's the only, so educate me, the uh, plebe, on this one. So Cisco has about probably 55 APIs, and I evangelize for two of them. And, the, and these are the two big ones that we want to really get out there in, in the world. Okay. And one is called Cisco Spark. Okay. And I would compare it to Slack. It's designed for um, like enterprise-sized companies. It's a very lightweight collaborative tool with you know video and, and calling features. Nice. And... and Everything that you need to do f- specific for your company, you can you have all that you know custom made, and and I use it. It's it's great. I absolutely love it. And uh-huh. you know, there's a whole developer community. If you're having an issue with creating something, you can get help um, immediately. Like within seconds, it's 24 hour support in the chat room. And there's a lot of people in there um, awesome. excited to help each other, and. Then there's Tropo, T-R-O-P-O dot com. And that's also a Cisco product that was acquired, I think, less than a year ago. I was going to say, I think I've heard of Tropo, but I didn't I think I did not know it was a Cisco uh, owned company at at that time. So, yeah. And that's one of my favorite things to talk about Mm -hmm. is showing people how to use the Tropo API. It is like the simplest thing in the world to use. It's like I can compare it to Twilio. It's like a um, voice and SMS API. I see. And, and, you know, recently I went to a college and and demonstrated to a class how they can work with their very first API ever with a few lines of code. You can make cool things happen with your phone and in your web, in your code. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they find it the most fascinating thing ever. And there's so many things you can do with it, like, you know, IoT related things, Internet of Things, you know, having or connecting it to devices and making it send information to your text messages for notification, like two factor authentication and all types of stuff. Right on. And you can find all the information about all the APIs on developer.cisco.com. Oh, OK, cool. Well, we're going to add that to the show notes for sure. 
Let's see right. here. Uh, the show notes. Uh, it's, it's, you say it was developer.cisco.com. Correct. Just type that bad boy in there. Well, that's very cool. So on a day-to-day basis, like what stuff do you do? It sounds like you do a bunch of stuff for this. Um, yeah. yeah. Every, every day is different. <laughs> right. It's, it's great. And I'm working on so many different types of projects. And another project I'm involved with in a team is we are creating um, – a curriculum to do like the two day training with sales engineers to be able to demonstrate on um, building bots for uh, Cisco Spark, the collaborative tool. So that's going to be very interesting. It's kind of he's like put all the developer stuff in a box, give it to the engineer, and let them go with it. So we have a lot of um, sales engineers who understands programming, mm-hmm. but they deal with the selling the products type of things to you know the people that are serious and, and ready to use it with their company. Right on. And uh, another thing, I go to a lot of Cisco events, Cisco sales events, Cisco live events, and meet a lot of um, companies or internal companies who want to use these APIs as part of their day-to-day work. Mm-hmm. And... I connect them with the sales engineers as well. So I, I talk a lot with the, the sales people or the, the, they would be in the business unit. So a developer evangelist is always important for them to have, you know, a good relationship with that, the business unit as it's important that there's a direct connection straight to them or else where is this information going to go when you find all these people interested in like a CEO of a company talking to me, wanting to, um, migrate out of slack into cisco spark for example nothing against slack i use slack and it's a great tool as well right but you want to destroy <laughs> them and steal all their customers i totally understand <laughs> that's i uh, can't uh. understand of course, of course very good very good yes mm-hmm. uh okay yeah well that's really cool and and so uh now do you get I to tr- going <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. Do you, do you travel a lot for, uh, I yes. think I remember you were in Asia talking about some stuff and so, was that, was that Cisco related? Um, yes, it was. So, um, Cisco DevNet were very supportive of all these open source communities, especially the ones that you have presence in. And since I have presence in the PHP community and the Joomla community, they allow me to go to, um, a few, or quite a few events a year. Um, but that's not really where our main focus is. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's more to support me and these communities saying, hey, we love you guys. We love PHP. Hey, um, CMS communities, we love you too, type of deal. Right, and yeah, yeah. We, we sponsor mostly a very large events, but I've been working on having them support smaller community events which i think is as important as the large ones because you get more i feel like when i'm going to when i'm at a conference with 2000 people or a conference with 200 people i feel like i talk to more people when it's a smaller event and i and you can spend more time with each person and and get more connections when right. it's a, thousands of people it's like they come to the booth and they say, you know, where's the free stuff? And then they're gone. <laughs> yeah, right. Mm-hmm. 
I would agree. Not with everyone, that. but you know. yeah, but a lot of people do that. They're, they're kind of swag oriented. It does seem like. Um, so that's cool. Yeah, and it, that is neat that you get to do that. Do you have you found? I'm not sure how much you travel, but I know one of the things that people talk about who do evangel, evangelism is that they get that the travel is pretty hard. And are you tra- like? Would you give me an idea like how much per month you're you're out of town? So recently I've been doing three weeks a month, but my job minimum is two weeks. So I've been putting that travel on myself from submitting CFPs and accepting everything. So I wouldn't say they force you to travel a lot, but I just absolutely love it so much. Okay. So I've um, cut cut down travel this month. Go ahead. You have to be home to do P and W PHP, but, uh, but yeah, so it sounds like it's, it's good for you. If you really love traveling, that is awesome. Definitely. So I'm counting Pacific Northwest PHP conference as one of the travels because we, um, Cisco sponsoring it. I didn't give them a choice. Not, yes, that, that seems totally, <laughs> no, I, that's the it way to do it. It just makes sense for them to sponsor. You Ram know. it through. And yeah. Right. Yeah, right. And I'm going to <clears throat> Madison PHP conference at the end of a, a month. I am also. And then I have that. a lot going on in October and November, and then it gets quiet in December. That's and then a lot is going on in January. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know about January for me, but my October and November are going to be nuts, too. So, yeah, I'm in the same boat. And we're going to be at some of the same things. Like, for example, Pacific Northwest PHP. And I would yes. be interested for you to talk about... Now I was at the I was at Oh, you're going? Just kidding. I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'll just show oh, up on you your doorstep. Oh, you didn't get that email? Oh, you didn't get that email? My bad. My <laughs> You can just refuse that thing I sent to you and uh, at the, at the <laughs> send it back COD. Um Oh. Yeah. So, uh what is going to be new, exciting and different? At Pacific Northwest PHP this year? Lots of things. Okay. So um, the the biggest thing is I've been making all the decisions, mean big decisions, so I feel like it's more, you know, just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I was trying to sound a little selfish, no, but no, no. I, we have a team of three people. There's me, there's Jeremy, and then there's Andrew Woods. And, um, we've been, all three of us have been working very hard. Um, we put together a group of volunteers. There's, um, a couple other people that's been helping out and we've been growing that team for the conference mm-hmm. and we're doing single track this year. Instead of multi-track, um, that was kind of by accident. Oh. Um, after six months of doing venue research as my main goal focus, mm-hmm. I've went to possibly every venue getting quotes, and it got to the point where I didn't think there was a conference go- that was going to happen because I couldn't find anything affordable. I see. And then I found one that gave you a significant di- um, discount if you were a 501c3 or in the process of being in a 501c3 status, Mm -hmm. nonprofit, you know, tax exempt status. Right. And it was a price that I was able to afford. So we went with this venue and it's absolutely beautiful. It's extremely expensive if you're not nonprofit. And 
I'm just in love with the venue, and I've been there before for a event. There's a Seattle new tech event that's kind of like startup and developer focus, and there's about three, four hundred people that show up to each monthly meetup. It's it's crazy. There's like seven thousand people in the meetup group. Right. Yeah. And that is a lot. That was how. And they use that venue sometimes, and it was like perfectly, just a perfect setup for a conference. Mm-hmm. And the main room is like a theater style, and it's so we're like, okay, this has to be single track. And there's a lot of smaller rooms, so that way we can make a sponsor room hangout and a speakers lounge, and it's pretty cool. And as much as I wanted a multi track, I realized doing a single track conference just relieved so much work, a huge workload from our team, and it's so much better. And easier, and it makes me want to continue to do this again and again. Well, that's good to hear. And, yeah, I like and, single track conferences, so you know that's cool. Good. Except I don't know, again. Tessa. I don't know, Tessa. When you've done it five times, like I have, you may change your mind about wanting to keep uh, doing it forever and ever and ever. Um, <laughs> the interesting talk about the venue. It is one thing I remember when we were first uh, working on True North PHP. Of course, the venue is actually the key thing because if you have a crummy venue, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, it, it does a bunch of things. It can set the event back. It can kind of set the tone. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm personally not, I mean, I'm not a big fan of single track conferences myself. It's just a personal thing. I prefer to, to give people as, as many choices as possible, but I do understand why people um, like the single track. The single track one is a very different feel. When I went to um, uh, PHP Australia, that was a single track one and it was really well done. They had uh, like an MC who like said something about every single speaker beforehand and like, gave updates in between about what was going on. So that, that felt it, it was a very, very different feel. But the venue is really, I mean, I mean, you've, you've probably gone through this, Tessa, where, where people have, um, I don't want to, I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. It's not one of these things where, like, I, I feel like just throwing at people saying, well, you know, if you have a problem with the conference, why don't you do your own fucking event? Because sometimes that's how I feel <laughs> when people are giving me a hard time about 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 choices. And we talk about things like um, speaker diversity. And, I mean, there are so many things that go into making a conference. And, you know, I, I know for sure I haven't been always 100% happy with everything that I've done with True North. Things can always be better. Things can always have broken a different way. Um, sometimes you literally don't know what's good or what's bad uh, with the event until you, until you, you do it. And, and for me, the event is kind of has its own feel to it and has its own way that it wants to do things. So once you've done it a few times, uh, I mean, it may be a little bit different because you're going from the first event was at a, a co-working space and it was multi-track and we were mixed in amongst a bunch of people there. So it's a very different thing where most conferences are kind of used to, oh, well, everyone's kind of in one central location. The rooms aren't too far from each other. Uh, you know, it was a very, very, very different feel, winding through, saying hi to people, all that stuff. And then now you guys have gone, found a beautiful venue from the looks of it. All the pictures that I've seen of it are awesome. I regret that I hey. can't make it because I had I had work commitments um, that prevented me from being able to go. No problem. Um, Next year. There you uh, go. Maybe next year, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, I find events kind of take a life of their own. And, and really, I, I encourage people, like, if they think a conference is so easy, they should actually literally ask themselves, do they think they could put on an event as good as the ones that they've been to? Because contrary to what people might think, nobody who organizes a conference mails it in. There is so much stuff to do. Even with me and Pete doing this event, it's two people. It's a lot of work. Um, mm-hmm. for, for people to do. A lot of people have been actually surprised when we tell them, oh no, it's just literally me and Pete. I'm doing pretty much everything. And we get a few volunteers to help us with 
uh, on the day of the event to be like, usually to help with registration in the morning and with room monitors. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so, you know, like Tessa's points are really good one. You know, sometimes we did feel like, you know, in our case, if Microsoft didn't get off their ass and actually answer our emails, there was a significant chance where I was just going to say, well, I'm sick of waiting and we're done. And I hope you came to last year's event because that happened to be the last one. Um, you know, there's there, like, there's just so many things that go, go into an event. I just, one of these days, I mean, that's not going to be the topic of my final talk at True North because I have a different goal for that last one where I'm shutting everything down. One of these days I am going to do a very long in-depth blog post, talk something about organizing conferences to get people to kind of understand a lot of the anger about the events themselves is really super misplaced. And not that I'm saying like you should cut people a ton of slack because they're, unless it's labeled as an actual for profit event. I mean, true North, we've been very lucky that we've have not had to pay any money out of pocket to do anything. We've broken even or gotten a little bit more uh, money out of it that we then plowed back into the local user group and kept some to help us pay for things for next year. But like, I, you know, People love going to conferences and they love submitting their, they love submitting, uh, you know, um, talks via uh, CFPs. But I, I think it's only the people who've gone to a ton of conferences, like both myself and Ed and Tessa have done. Once you've gone to a whole bunch of things, you actually start to understand how these things are all put together. Mm-hmm. You can't speak for a long, you can't speak at numerous conferences and not get an appreciation for all the work that goes into so, organizing. So one stuff. thing I'm starting to really appreciate, so when I first started going to PHP events and on my own cost, I was that person looking for you know a free ticket or a, a significant discount code and finding a way to get in for free. Now I'm realizing as a conference organizer and, and non being nonprofit, every dollar counts. And I literally just broke even um, like late last week. And that was mm. that was a lot of sleepless nights wondering if I'm going to have to pay out of pocket of, you know, many, many thousands, thousands of dollars. I was really lucky to get a gold sponsorship last minute and, you know, sell enough tickets to get me out of the hole. And we rely, we really rely on every single ticket sale to make this event happen and sometimes I wish you know we have so many tech companies in the Seattle area and sometimes I wish that more um, companies that use PHP for their software understand how important it is to send their employees to these conferences to network and to um, be and, and learn a lot of stuff and how it just helps the whole open source community as a whole and just it keeps it going round and round so Tessa, I have an interesting question for you about the, about uh, Pacific. Are you sure it's interesting? Well, I think it's very interesting because <laughs> right. I'm going to share my answer to it. What was the part of organizing the conference that surprised you that was really hard? Like, what did you think was going to be easy that turned out to be actually hard? Ah, uh, computer. I. F- I f- <laughs> I feel like the hardest part was finding the right venue because it just I just have to like get that that the right feng shui feeling like like you mentioned all the rooms have to be close together um I, the, there has to be you know a a bathroom for you know a family bathroom there has to be 
multiple elevators if there's more more than one floor and there's like a million little things that I'm looking for and I'm very very picky when it comes to that now especially from the um, feedback that we got from the last year's venue and I didn't realize you know that air conditioning and and the way it feels inside a venue is actually important as well um, there's probably um, more stuff. I am undergoing an issue right now that I'm um, fighting with is finding a print center that can get my um, conference pamphlets printed by Thursday. Um, the local print shop wants $2,000 because they don't have the technology to print our odd size is what she said. It's an odd size. so It's mm. not going to work out. And um, yeah, I think that's the last biggest task that I have. Another um, thing that I didn't realize, it's going to make your house look like trash. I have boxes all over the place. My whole office is just packed with conference stuff, but luckily it's going to all be at the conference center soon. Um, and um, another thing is when you're organizing a conference, always like set aside three to $5,000 for like the, oops, I forgot the co- these things cost like a budget. It's really important to break a budget down. I didn't do this last year. We spent money blindly. Everything we did was blindly. I decided to create a, a budget sheet and create a budget for every little thing. For example, speaker gifts, no more than $850. Um, workshop per, lunch, per speaker, no more than... Right. <laughs> Eight fifty per speaker. All right. okay. That was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, a blast doing the speaker gift shopping, and I got Ooh. that all together. And a, all of that is manual labor, so I need to set aside three or four hours to finish the speaker gift thing. You'll see, now, Ed. Yep. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get something awesome. Yeah, I don't like my speakers enough to give them gifts. Ed can tell you That's that. That's true. So uh, for me, actually, and this might surprise some people, for me, the thing that I actually – found to be the hardest was to make sure that um, that everybody involved in helping to organize the conference and run it on the day of the conference were all aligned and going in the same direction, which I think is kind of surprising. The other stuff I actually found um, um, pretty easy. Finding sponsors, I didn't have a hard time um, helping out with that stuff. Uh, keeping the speakers organized, sending out the emails, arranging pickups, mm-hmm. uh, making sure the hotel stuff was all taken care of. Those things I actually found quite easy. Um, yeah. Simply because oh. for yeah yeah for me I always found I mean I, I know that some other conferences might do the same sort of thing but I've always tried to treat the speakers the way that I want to be treated and since I expect to be pampered whenever I go to an event yeah. I make sure I make sure all my all my speakers are taken care of but I found like getting everybody in line making sure myself and Pete and all our other volunteers, that we all knew what we were going to do um, about everything. And it didn't necessarily have to be that everything had to be my way, because it's not always my way. And <laughs> everything had to be Pete's way, and it wasn't always Pete's way. Just making sure that, yeah, that every single thing that we're going to do, everybody involved knows ahead of time, this is what we're doing. So that there are zero surprises. And I think by by like basically deciding this, we're all going to be united in the way that we're going to approach everything has made the true North events run really, really super smooth. And uh, I mean, I know it's different for everybody else, but for me during the event, I, I don't feel stressed at all because we have everything taken care of. Yeah, we know that exactly. basically given, given anything that's going to could possibly happen at the event, we know exactly um, how we're going to deal with it. If so, a problem. so that's, that's what I did last year is like three months before the event. I, I realized, Oh my gosh, I need volunteers. And I put together a team and, 
Jeremy and I created a role for every single volunteer and defined what they do. And this year it was really easy. We slapped together a team really quick and already knew exactly what they were doing. Having been on your second year, you don't need to like think of stuff from scratch. Like you know exactly what needs to be done. And there's, there's always something that comes up. Um, last year, I was not prepared for one thing, and it was humiliating. It was when it was the speaker dinner time, and everyone was at the venue. And I'm like, okay, I need to get everyone from the venue to the restaurant. And I'm thinking, I think maybe Jeremy took care of this. So mm-hmm. everyone's waiting around, and 10 minutes later, I'm like, okay, so what's, go- what's going on Did and then I called Jeremy. He's like, oh, I, th- I thought you had it taken care of. I'm like, oh, I ha- thought you had it taken care of. So I'm like panicking. I'm like running around outside, walking back and forth, thinking, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And ended up, um, plural site, um, ended up calling an Uber. And I called an Uber. And I think someone else called an Uber. So a couple people felt my um frustration and, and helped out and they were really really great and saved my life there so I know I have an expectation that the speakers are going to be needing to move one mile away and I'm not going to make them walk so I think I will be more prepared well we hope so maybe not yeah I, I, don't might, know. I might forget Ed you're walking <laughs> I yeah, don't have I'm, room for you in the vehicle I'll use my own I'll use Lyft <laughs> instead of Uber oh <laughs> It's it's a lot of fun though, but you know, you really have to rely on getting a surplus of money from your event to handle mm-hmm. the deposits for next year. Um, I had quite a surplus from last year, and because I'm broken even now, it makes me wonder: is there going to be a next year if I don't have that surplus of money? So it's um, it's really really scary. It's nerve wracking. It takes a lot of guts to do something like this, and. I'd love to see more more people run events or, you know, contribute to the events around them. Just attending events is such a big deal, I think. Yeah. Take the time to ask your manager to go to a conference. That's all I did is ask my manager, can you send me to a conference? And like, let's let's look at the budgets. Okay, sure. And that's not too difficult to ask. Right on. Yeah, right but it's on. a scary thing to ask because you feel like, like, do I really deserve this? That's going to be very expensive to send me to this event, mm-hmm. and man, deserve ain't deserving. got nothing. To, deserve ain't got nothing to do with it. This is how the conference. Works. If you ask, <laughs> like the surest way, I tell people about all sorts of other things uh, in their career as a programmer. The surest way to never get something is to never ask for it. So, I mean, conferences are really part of should be part of people's professional development and i think that's why it's good that we have so many regional conferences now pretty much anywhere i think most areas of the continental u.s are um, taken care of um, with a conference so you know there are plenty of opportunities for people to attend events but you know it gets us things like the the people that go to conferences is a very very small slice of the of the overall um, programmer community and it's always interesting to try to find ways to like kind of slice through that um that barrier that exists between the frequent like you have that pyramid right the you have the the very small number of people that organize events and then the next level of the pyramid is the the speakers who uh, end up going to a lot of these because they enjoy speaking or their job permits them to go to a lot of them then you have the people who uh, attend the events not necessarily speaking and then you have everybody else and a lot of these people might not even know that there's an event nearby that there's events they could go to and the idea of going to a, a conference um 
just seems totally alien to them for a bunch of reasons, like what Tessa brought up. Uh, people, you know, a lot of self-esteem issues. People like, I don't feel like it's worthy. I don't, I feel like it's a lot of money. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very, very uh, complex thing. And I, I mean, I've tried to work really, really hard to like get the interest in True North PHP up or for the Toronto area, more and more people. But, you know, we, we've always kind of been around the same size, the same number of people. Event hasn't been growing the way that I wanted it to grow. And it's part of the reason why we're not going to do it anymore, amongst other things. But, you know, it's always that you always want your events to be bigger and have more and more people know about it. And even more people know about it and choose not to go, well, that's fine. At least people are aware that they have this option. So many people who do programming for a living just simply don't even know that these events exist. And it's interesting to me in that in this day and age of social media and, and all this stuff, many, many ways to communicate with people, it seems it's even harder to get people interested um, in coming out to a conference. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I struggled a lot with the whole um, marketing side of thing. It's like I can – Tweet 50 times, 100 times today, it's not going to change anything. <laughs> I think it does, but it, it's hard. I, I mean, it, it doesn't, yeah. it might not feel like it, but it does. Uh -huh. Or maybe I'm just making crap up and it doesn't help. And maybe this is just a uh, life is just an endless, you know, void and we're really alone and there's no chance people are going to listen well, clearly, to us and just, just clearly Ed forgot to take his medication before he went on the air I drank the wrong Aww. drink <laughs> yep. oh man you should hear what we say you should hear what we say to each other when we're not broadcasting it's even more interesting oh um, I wish I was dead oh yeah of course of course Ed and I couldn't have done this 82 no wait 83 times yep, if we didn't 83. actually if we didn't not actually like two. each other if we actually didn't actually like each other you know, people still ask me all the time, how did it, how did Ed and I even get started doing this podcast? And Ed can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure it all started with a conversation we had back at the uh, PHP community conference when mm -hmm. we were over at Cal Evans' place having a couple of drinks. And we sat next to each other and started talking. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I can't believe it, Ed. 2011 is like our first episode. That's just nuts. It's been going on. Man, we're a legacy. <laughs> yeah, we're a we're a legacy podcast. We'd be hard to refactor and apply tests to. So fair enough. Well, I can see the clock on the wall since we've been going for a while. So Tessa, is there anything else uh, you wanted to talk about? Even we often like to turn things around. If there's anything sure. you wanted to ask us about before we wrap things up. Sure, I'll um, add something for the notes to go to my personal site tessamero.com. And if you want to live vicariously through my, uh, the events I go to and learn about these events, I blog about every single place I go to and focus, um, my focus is about the event and, and what my thoughts are about the event. What's your, what's your Twitter handle? What's your Twitter at, handle, Tessa? At is it Tessa, Tessa Mero? Yes. All one word. Got it. Yep. Glad that we'll make sure to have a link to that in the notes. Perfect. Well, what do you think, Ed? Are we done? I think we are done, friend. I think this has been so, a, good, a good little episode. We can talk a little bit about our uh, sponsors. Huh? And uh, Tessa, uh, thanks so much for coming on. I know that you're away in, in uh, Asia. We were trying to get this all straightened out, so I'm, I'm glad that you could be on the show. Great. Thank you so much for having me on your um, not 82nd, but 83rd episode. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh Alrighty. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what we got here? We got some, a couple of sponsors. We got uh, Gramps Learning. Uh, do you need to, your Gramp to learn something? 
Is he being resistant? Talk to Chris Hartjes. He'll make sure he learns. <laughs> Sorry, I have to mute. Normally, Tessa, I mute during Ed's uh, uh, ad ad spot, so I'm going to mute myself now. Oh. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Gramp Gramps needs to learn about testing his code, but he doesn't want to. He just writes it and puts it up on the website. It's ready for production, he says. If there are no bugs in it, you don't need tests. Let Chris show him how wrong he is about everything. Go to grumpy-learning.com and buy a book and show Gramps What's wrong with his life choices? Thank you. And then we've got Wonder Network. Find purveyors of networks as a examination of what stuff happens. Like, see a picture of what your website looks like in Bangladesh. Did the translators get it right in Russia? How well is it going is fast from South Africa? Let's find out. And proxies and VPNs from Wonders Network, wondernetwork.com, one network, six continents. Thank you. I'm done. I'm done now. I don't know why people oh. aren't like booking our uh, sponsorships right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, I don't know why they hear these episodes. Why our why our sponsorship booking widget isn't just lighten the fuck up with people throwing money at us. Yeah, really. So, how, how much uh, does it cost for, to sponsor? Two hundred dollars an uh, episode. You buy two at a time. Did I say oh. that right? Yes, two hundred an episode. You buy two at a time. So cool. uh, yeah, I bet Cisco Spark Dev would like us to talk about them. Or oh. Tropic. Tropo. Uh, See, the problem is, Ed, if somebody else who doesn't know us accepts money, we can't really butcher the ad read like we do with our friends' companies. So yeah, That's a good point. I, I don't know. Cisco DevNet is pretty cool. They're all really laid back and really cool people. And they're yeah, all they are until, they, the- hear, they, are until <laughs> they hear us uh, read their ad for them. Yeah. <laughs> Never know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Tessa, why don't you look into that and get back to us? Because Ed and I always like money in exchange for doing a podcast. No, that's definitely a thing we like to do. We like to take money from Everything. our friends. Yeah, We take money oh, from our nice. friends anytime they throw stuff at us. It'd be good. So uh, thank you for that wonderful ad read. And we have reached uh, the end of another scintillating episode of the Development Hell Podcast. This has been episode number 83. I got it right this time. Not 82. You can find, yeah, yeah not 82, it's 83. <laughs> you can find every single episode we've ever done up on our website at devhell.info. Every single episode has uh, a wonderful title, uh, show notes, which I'm writing these days under the close supervision of Ed. Ed picks an awesome 
uh, graphic to go with a snappy title that I come up with. Uh, you can also listen to us on iTunes. If you do listen to us on iTunes, please rate the podcast. Let us know what we're doing well, what we're not doing so well, so we can uh, provide a maximal comedy effect for you. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at dev underscore hell. You can find me on Twitter as grumpy programmer without the U. You can find Ed as Funkatron with the U. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tessa, for joining us as well. And we'll see everybody next time. Thank you. Good, good night, Internet. Ooh.